welcome to this Kaiser Series podcast. This is the third and final episode of a three-part mini-series where we look into strength and conditioning through a leadership lens in order to learn what some of SNC's foremost practitioners think about the issues of the day. My name is John Porch. I am the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute. And coming up in this final installment is my conversation with Johnny Parks, the new associate head coach with the University of South Carolina men's tennis program. Johnny is a longtime friend of leaders who has worked with the United States Tennis Association and IMG Academy, amongst others. We delve into some of his recent musings on interdisciplinarity and SNC's role within that, as well as the ever pressing question of performance behaviours and his burgeoning relationship with the men's tennis program's head coach, Josh Goffey. If this is the first episode you've managed to catch from this series, I strongly encourage you to go back and check out episode one from last month when I spoke to Conor McGoldrick, the head of strength and conditioning at Red Bull's Athlete Performance Centre in Salzburg, Austria. And for episode two, I spoke to Emily Hall, a PhD student and SNC coach working primarily with the under-19s Queensland Sapphires women's rugby league team in Australia. And today, as I've said, it's Johnny Parks, a great guest to wrap up this series. Thank you for making it this far. Enjoy episode three. Johnny, welcome to the show. You just changed roles recently. And so firstly, I want to ask, how's it going in South Carolina? Yeah, change roles. Uh, been a bit of a roller coaster the past few years, but I'm very excited by this new role. Uh, it's pretty unique, uh, especially in our world, in the tennis world, where my, my role encompasses overseeing and running all the strength and conditioning for the men's tennis team here. But then I'm also out on the court during the tennis practices. So in my role, I'm able to kind of be that connector between the court and the gym or the tennis and the physical preparation side. So I'm very excited and, and really looking forward to seeing uh, how we can progress things here in South Carolina with this link between what Coach Goffey's doing here with the tennis and what I can provide on the SNC side. Focusing on the physical aspects of tennis, Johnny, what are some of the different challenges, particularly in SNC, that you face with adult tennis players versus younger players? What are some of the things that tend to crop up? Well, I think some of the challenges is how specific you get with pro or adult tennis players versus versus the younger ones. Um, some of the issues that do crop up is almost creating adult models for youth youth tennis players. And we need to remember that that, that progression needs to go from general to specific on, on a very you know simple terms. Um, and, and there's different ways that obviously that can be done. I think on the adult side within tennis, it's an individual sport and now kind of being part of a team. It's making sure that you're still finding ways to individualize out you know, again, when you're more general and trying to build a, an athlete first, you can be more general, getting them to do different things together, do things collaboratively, do things competitively, add in different sports into your training, things like that. As you get more specific, yeah, it needs to be tailor made to the demands that that adult, you know, that professional player is going through and not just specifically to the demands of tennis, but the, to the demands of their game style, their identity within the sport. And so it's how you can get quite, uh, let's say, creative, but very detailed in the planning and really drum it down to very, very small specifics around body type and then their game identity, their game style on the tennis court. So I think there's a big difference there as you blend from the youth side to the adult side. Uh, and it's, it's important that you get that right, because if you miss that boat in the youth athlete, athletic, uh, the youth athletic development side of tennis and you just create those 
you know, those those simple patterns that, that tennis players have to go through over and over. That's where the early specialization creeps in and the specialization leads to the injuries. So you, you, we got to make sure that we're we're getting off on the right foot with the youth athletes. But then as you set that foundation, it gets very a lot more specific and tailor made to, the, to their uh, to their unique bodies and their unique game style. And one of the big themes of this series has been interdisciplinarity. And you occupy a leadership role, of course. But what steps have you taken to increase your knowledge of other disciplines? How much do you realistically need to know about those other disciplines with which you work on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's a really good question because, again, I think the role that I play, which is being on court and doing the S&C, is the reason I take that role is because I think the two, you know, everything connects and everything blends together. And so as I started off as a, a bit more of a tennis coach, I wanted to increase my knowledge around the strength and conditioning side of the sport. And what comes with that is then understanding the mental skills and attributes associated with that sport too and understanding personalities. And so from an interdisciplinary standpoint is I don't think you have to be a master of, 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 every, of every side of it, but I think it's very important that you're building a high enough knowledge that you know how to affect that. Quite often in our sport here, Right, we know that the worlds we live in, whether you're in you know professional team sports or individual sports, is that there's a there's the specialty specialty roles around everything, and I think you know especially leaders have talked in the past a lot about that, especially during COVID on the role of the generalist versus the specialist. Well, I think I think we all have to have the generalist mentality, even if we're specialists, because we need to know enough about how it all connects together, and so. You know, am I going to be an athletic trainer or a physio? No, but am I going to increase my knowledge about how how to um, help prepare the body a bit better, how the body connects, um, how to help somebody if they don't have a physio present and, you know, they're, they're showing maybe a, a, a minor form of tendonitis. And I, I know that there's training principles and science there that we can help improve that specifically. So, you know, I, I like to look at it as I'm trying to, to try and increase my knowledge as much as I can so that I can at least have an effect, but more so so I know how things connect and blend together. Um, so it's important to ask questions to those different roles and, and to always be inquisitive, I guess, around that so I can keep building connections for myself and how to help the athletes. And when you come together collectively to support athletes, what tend to be some of these players' biggest concerns? What are some of the things that generally crop up? Well, I think some of their concerns is that that what they're doing is not tailor made for them. You know, I think I think from that standpoint that they want to know that the team is working together. They they want to feel like they they have their bubble around them. And sometimes when we're, we're pulling from different resources and, and bringing people in, then things can start fraying a little bit. I think I think sometimes they're worried. They don't always say this. Is that they want their voice to be heard in in terms of you know this athlete led approach. And especially in our sport, you've, the athlete, we've got to know what they're thinking. We've got to know what they, is going through their mind. We've got to know what they think is helping them on the court and what is not helping them on the court uh, with their training. And from that standpoint, then you start to, you know, like every athlete has something that they like to do, but every athlete, there, there is stuff that they just need to do. Right. And so you need to really understand that mix of the stuff that they don't really like to do, but is really good for them because it's going to really help their long term development. But you also need to know what they do like to do. That's usually their strengths, right? The strengths approach. And so their concern, I think, is sometimes that they're just being told what to do 
and that their voices aren't being heard. And I think it's very important that we we give them those opportunities to voice their thoughts, their opinions, but also also lead practices sometimes or quite often come to the table and go, and these are the three things I want to work on today. I think those are definitely concerns of, of, of tennis players when they come in. Uh, and they also want to know that the team is working together. You know, I, I work with a handful of pros still in, in, still in my current role, and they want to know that people are talking, you know. So, so even if they're not involved in the conversation because they're focusing on their comp- competition coming up, they want to know that the team around them is in sync, that they're all on the same page. And it's really important that they're all on the same page, talking the same language, and they're creating a positive environment around the player or the athlete. And that's the other thing that I think the athlete really wants is to make sure that there's no external stresses you know, that are going on around them. They want to kind of eliminate that, so those external stresses that sometimes a massive team can bring to the table without even realizing. So I think that's something we see too. So does that mean that in general, you will tailor what you say and what you do because you're really trying to let the athlete have their voice in their program? Absolutely. Well, I, I give you an example. So when we go through development plans for each player, that conversation always looks a lot different. And what I do is, is I pull up the development plan and we go through the different segments of it, whether it be technical, tactical, their serve, their return. But what we're doing is we're letting them describe how they feel about their game, whether it be technical, tactical. And what I'm doing is, is I'm writing down the words that they use. So then when I PDF it and send it back to them, it's speaking to them because it's their language that they've used. So they're often giving me the coaching cues that they're saying in their head. Now, that coaching cue might be a little bit different. It might be the same principle, same thing as an, as another player we talk to in a different development plan, but the coaching cue might be different. So for me, though, I'm writing down the exact coaching cue that's coming out of their mouth as they go through the development plan because that's what's going to resonate with them the most when they go back out on the court. So when I go back out on the court with them, or if I'm in the gym with them and they're talking in this language, I'm going to make sure that I'm using those words and I'm using their language to help them because it's going to connect deeper. And obviously that, 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 that coaching cue or phrase will be different for somebody else. So, so that, that, that's, that, that's an example of what we go through to, to get to that point. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a point of bringing their language to the table um, for it to have a better better effect on their training and development. When you're working with players and other performance disciplines around those players, tensions must inevitably emerge. But what have you found to be the right path towards finding a consensus for everyone involved in performance terms? I think establishing what that path is early on is very important. Is it when do you have the team meetings? Do you have team meetings without the player? When do you do that? When do you then bring the player in? I think the consensus is that after every you know, when you have your training blocks on the front and the back end of a training block, you need to have that preparation process and that review process. And I think also after a big stretch of competition, you need to have that um, preparation review process. That doesn't mean to say that you're not coming together as a team in the middle of all of that. But it's just when usually when you're in the middle of all that, there's a little bit more chaos coming through and you're trying to calm the chaos down from a performance team standpoint because that can't makes things a bit more simple, simpler for the athlete. But for us, I think we're bring the team is coming together during those important phases. And I think on the preparation end, that process would look like the performance team would come together first just to look at what we feel that the player needs from all the different specialty areas, the, the S&C, the, the physio, the, the sports coach and all that. But then it's 
bringing in the player and then going, okay, what do you feel needs the most work in these areas? And then let the, let the player lead it. And then it's important to get their thoughts afterwards. So afterwards, it's not, I don't really like to have too many meetings where the athlete's not present, but I think it really is important in the preparation phase because sometimes the, the player, the athlete doesn't need all those little details that do go into all the planning process. So sometimes that can just bog their mentality down. All they, they need to know is, are they happy with the direction forward? Are they bought in? Are they committed? And have they had their voice? And then we all move forward. Then in that review process, it's going, okay, how do we feel all of that went? And that's always led by the athlete. You know, so, so, so that needs to happen. After competitions, it needs to happen because let's say during a competition, we've done everything right, but an athlete cramped out after two hours. And then the, the, the player wants to know the, the answer to the question, why did that happen to me? So as a team, we have to explore all the potential little bullet points that could have gone into why that happened. You know, was there a carbohydrate deficiency, a sodium deficiency? Did we not hydrate well enough in preparation? Was it nerves? Was it tension? What is that? So that's when the team needs to come together and really explore the reasons why. So that, And also that needs to be done delicately because also... You know, I've, I've been in meetings where people start pointing fingers. It could be this, could you know, you know, you didn't do your role. So therefore that led to that. It's like, no, we're just sitting here to explore all the potential options. And everyone needs to be open to going, you know what? I actually didn't, I could have covered those details a little bit more. And we, and if you have that kind of safe space in that team, people will start going, yeah, I could have done a little bit better in that area. The player themselves would come to the table and go, yeah, I, I you know, I, I didn't hydrate as well as I could have done, whatever it may be. So um, I think that's that that's important to have that consensus on the direction when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, and everyone has their voice within that. But most importantly, the player does. And how comfortable are you making suggestions that fall outside of your domain? Well, I think comfort comes with the relationship. So as you have that trust and relationship with the whole team, I think everybody feels comfortable with bringing those suggestions. So. I'm a part of some some professional players' teams where I feel absolutely comfortable making suggestions on all, on all ends, apart from maybe the, the sort of re- rehab side when when little things pop up. It's more of those questions around, around okay, what exactly do we think is going on here? And then how do I need to manipulate then the training program? Um, so that'll be more of the questioning on some of the areas that I don't feel as obviously educated or well-versed in. But in other areas, whether it be the, the tennis side, the SNC, the mental side, I'll definitely offer some some advice. And I think that's the unique part that I play in this as a former player, as been on the tennis coaching side, the SNC side, and being in leadership roles is you can come to the table with that, but other people may not may not receive it as well. So from that standpoint, it's also creating creating in that team uh, performance team uh, meeting it's creating that ability for others to also ask questions into what you feel is your domain as well and you have to lay that out on the front end you say right we're all going to bring suggestions to the table because it's all going to make us think more and it's all going to make us better Um, if we don't do that then that's when people start getting defensive you know so i said everything needs to be laid out on the front end and once you do that and people still go into defensive mode then maybe you start asking those questions of whether they're the right person to have on the team. Are they bringing more external stresses and pressures to the to the table? Or are they open and inquisitive to figuring out how we keep moving the dial forward and keep learning in each of those domains and get better? So again, it's, it's all how it's laid out on the front end. Back to the conversation in a moment. But first, a word about our main partners, Kaiser. 
For over 40 years, Kaiser has been at the cutting edge of the fitness industry. Kaiser Strength products utilize pneumatic technology and dynamic variable resistance, which allows the user to build strength at any speed. And it offers an unrivaled opportunity to work towards any training goal. Kaiser's cardio products are smooth, silent, compact, and designed with the user in mind. Built with Bluetooth integrated technology, the simplistic yet striking design offers unmatched user longevity. Simply put, Kaiser equipment raises the bar in elevating human performance for everyone. If you'd like to hear more, then please get in touch with the leaders team, who will be delighted to introduce you to the right person at Kaiser. Alternatively, visit kaiser.com to find out more. And now, back to the conversation. Johnny, I wanted to move the conversation on to performance behaviours. And I want to begin by asking you, what are winning behaviours in your view? Oh, that's a that's a big question. I think I think there's definitely traits and principles that show that that uh, certain behaviors can be universal re- around winning. I think the determination, the resilience, the adaptability, th- those are all things that go into winning behaviors, right? Like if you if you are not resilient, you're not adaptable. You 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 often can't push yourself to a place you need to get to to get over the finish line. Discipline, patience. Those are the big things you need in practice to keep doing the repetitive things and being consistent at that every single day. I think when you look at a lot of great players or great athletes in their sport and they talk about what it's taken to get there. So now we're in this sort of, you know, getting to this post era now, like Federer, you know, Federer, Serena, Rafa's coming on the back end, you you know, Novak's talking a lot more about the, the type of behaviors that he he goes through on a daily basis to to be the player he is at 36 years old and still be at the top of the game. And I think in some ways, they, they, there's older guys and girls, uh, gals feel a sense of responsibility to the younger generations coming through to, to, to talk about these things. And when you listen to them talk, they talk about this relentless pursuit of just getting better and being great and doing what's required, even if it's not fun, even if it's not um, exactly what they want to do every day, they're doing what's necessary. And I think from that standpoint, you know, you listen to to, to the late and great Kobe who talks a lot and, and, and other greats in, in their sports, the All Blacks, you know, there's been there's been podcasts on, on famous All Blacks. These common themes always come up. And so I have to believe that, yes, like that winning mentality is, is, is something that creates a behavior that can be universal, but you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not as easy as just uh, being able to repeat what everybody else is saying, is it? So <laughs> absolutely not. But you talk about some of the, the big names, the famous athletes there who have promoted the idea of winning behaviors, but what can you do in your shoes on a day-to-day basis out on the court, in the gym, wherever it happens to be? Well, I think the greatest gift we give players um, in our world is accountability and it's accountability to high standards. And I think, first of all, you have to teach what those standards look like. You have to teach what those standards feel like and you have to set those expectations. Again, always on the front end, you set those expectations. The accountability is holding them to those standards and expectations. Otherwise, you're just talking about standards and talking about having this higher ability, higher expectations. All, all it is is talk. And if you don't actually follow up with the accountability on the, on the court or in the gym or in the whole training environment, then you lose it. So often say that our greatest gift is that, is that we give players accountability. 
And it always, you know, and every every athlete's going to have a bit of a bad day. And then it's always bringing them back to the perspective around why they're being pushed hard, why they're being held to these higher standards. And it usually comes back to their goals. What are they striving for? If you're trying to be, have these, these winning behaviors, then look, you've not only have I got to hold you accountable to that as a coach, but you've got to start holding yourself accountable, especially in the tough moments that you're going through on the practice court or on the, uh, on the competitive environment. So that, 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 that to me, I think would be the main thing that we could do as coaches on a daily. How do you help an athlete get back on track? Let's say they've had an injury setback or some issue that's cropped up that's taken them out of their daily routine. What are some of the key steps to getting them back on the horse, as it were? Yeah, well, I think coming off an injury or coming off a, let's say, a tough period of time, I think now you're also seeing a little bit of these mental resets as well. Right, People are struggling with the pressures and the continued build and build and build. And so sometimes it's not the physical injury. It's more of you know trying to prevent mental burnout and then resenting the sport sometimes especially at the, the the high levels you know what we can do from there is provide uh, you need to provide structure but you need to provide variability as well you need to get back to making it a little bit fun it still needs to you know fun can still mean tough challenging and demanding but to me there's a bit of variability in the training as long as it obviously still leads to to, to, to hitting the objectives of what you're striving to get back to there needs to have that whether you want to call it gamifying, gamification of training, bringing in other, you know, especially in tennis, right? It, it sometimes it's fun to to bring in players together so they're not training on their own the whole time. That's the cool thing about you know now being in the college environment is you got guys that can train together and push each other. But as individuals, how can you bring in other other athletes at certain times when it fits into both their training programs and have them do speed work together? have them do some of the mobility work together, have them lead each other in some of the training. So if we're going to do a mobility session, which is, you know, fairly slow and could be boring if, you know, if you're just sitting around, you know, have them lead it, give them ownership over doing it and have them teach something to the other athlete. So when you're coming back from a tough moment, you've got to find these these different aspects that provide a bit more fun, a little bit more social side of it, as long as that social side doesn't cross that line of right going from being too much fun that you're forgetting what you're exactly you're working towards. And I think that really helps an athlete get back in, in I think, a healthier way, not just physically healthier, but mentally healthier way too. What might be some of the ways then that you could gamify training, whether that's speed work or even during a mobility session? Yeah, well, like, I mean, a lot of the speed work I do, we go, we get on the tennis court, a lot of the speed work we do, whether it be linear, lateral, drag, whatever, we, we get competitive, you know, so, so one of, you know, a couple of the ways we get competitive is you can do time trials, right? We do time trials, you, you, you put out a little course or whatever it is, or the path, you know, the speed paths that you need to take. And, you know, what's the time that you can hit? What's the max time that you can do this, this movement in? And obviously there's races, there's competitive races against other people. There's things where you have to kind of problem solve a little bit, you know, whether it be playing the rock, paper, scissors game and whoever loses, you know, you're kind of doing a chase, you're playing a tag game, lead a follower. This is, I mean, these all sound things like you would do when you were a kid, right? Like in PE or something. (laughs) But, But literally, I mean, I do these with pros. And what I found is, is that, you know, if we want to go back to talk about testing, you know, their test scores in speed go through the roof just by doing things competitively together um, with, with other athletes. 
so so very simply put that is the the best way not only to provide more fun into your training but it's a, it's a great way to actually it's the i think it's the best way to actually improve something like speed is to do competitive races or do things where they're having to react based off their opponent hence leader follower doing cognitive games right playing a bit of tic-tac-toe but turn it into a like a speed game tic-tac-toe little things like that always coming up with creative games where it gets them to think about it as well as as then having to, to turn it into competition and you can track that and you can demonstrate their progress back to them can't you and they can probably see it for themselves oh absolutely i mean i i love to i love to do things where when they're racing it's the it's the you know first one to to get the ball off the cone or first one to stack the cone you know and, and when you've got close races you've got to go to the var you know you've got to so i like recording it so that you know, the athletes get invested in two. They go, no, I think I got that one. I was like, okay, well, let's go back to the VAR. They quickly come over, they go through it. And they're like, oh yeah, like my hand was still touching the cone when they'd already put theirs down and was, and was off. So like, they love doing that. And again, I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about professional players as well. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we got to remember that, that we can do things like that with professional players. And you know, cool thing you see on Instagram a little bit now is some of these professional teams like Roma or, you know, Liverpool or Everton, whoever, they're all playing these little guys. I saw, saw one this morning, actually, of Everton playing the knee tag game, you know, and you talk about, I play the knee tag game because it gets them down in that athletic base and that athletic position then becomes reactionary, you know, and they were doing it as one of their little warm-up games. So I think there's a lot of value to that. But um, anyway, yeah. Sticking with S&C, and just to bring things to a conclusion here, really, where are the biggest gains in the future of SNC likely to be made generally, but then also from a tennis perspective as well? Well, I think first and foremost, I think SNC has come a long, long way, especially over the last decade. There's, there's so much science, people coming out with studies that, you know, sometimes now it's almost a place of like, you know, where do you actually go to get the, the most legitimate science reports and information that, that you want to see? But there's a lot. It's accelerated a lot. My, I actually then think the greatest gains in S&C is taking a step back. We still want people pushing forward the science because that's going to give us a more well-informed information around it, that we can use into our programming. But we can't make that king. We can't make that always the 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 driving force around our programs we got to remember that what we do is an art and i think we have to i think the greatest gains in snc is is continuing to strive to figure out what helps each individual athlete we have to understand that growth and development again i'm not just talking about kids and and, and teenagers youth adolescents growing up I'm talking about that that growth the mental and physical combined growth of an athlete is always going to be somewhat individual. So I think the way we've got to move forward is making sure that we're looking at how we do our plans and our programs through that lens, which I will admit is tough when you have a lot of people, right? You have a large team. It's tough, but you have to take the effort to do it. I also think the greatest gains in SNC can be made is how you really make yourself an integral part of the team. You have to be out there really with the team on a daily basis. You have to understand those. You can call them soft skills. I just call them essential skills. We have to recognize that we have to make ourselves completely valuable to the team. And that might mean going out there, 
for extended periods of time, watching practices, going above and beyond and staying late, later after, after an S&C session because a guy needs to work on their hip mobility a little bit more, you know, as opposed to just shutting the practice down. So, so the greatest gains can be, I think, comes back to the art of coaching. Uh, I think, unfortunately, I've seen, I've seen on both sides of it from the S&C side, I've seen those that do that really well. And I've seen those that just go, my job is just to take care of the physical and nothing else. And often those are the people that don't get that connected to the team. And they often don't immerse themselves with the coaching staff as a whole. And therefore, they, they, they may not last as long as they would like to. But um, it's understanding those. We talked about winning behaviors. I want to, talk, you know, we can talk about winning team behaviors, you know, and I think that has to be something that has to be at the forefront of every S&C coach's minds. And I suppose off the back of that, if you're having those conversations, building those relationships, then you're using gym equipment in a better fashion. You're setting up more effective sessions as well, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, the the great thing about so many people wanting to to do their own research studies and come up with, you know, I'm doing this program and this plan and it led to these results is that that gets you to read that information and take it into your gym and, and go, okay, well, you know, for me, I, I like to play around on, on my programming on myself to see if it has an impact. And then I go, okay, well, how would I adapt this for the individual athlete? How do I'm going to use these pieces of equipment to elicit the response that I want? And, you know, each piece of equipment might be used slightly differently for each athlete. But the great thing about that and how we move it forward is how do you take a tool? How do you take a piece of equipment and how, what are the many different ways you can use it? And then how are you going to use it for that specific athlete? And so that, that, that's the great thing about how programming can be more sophisticated based off some of the science we're getting, but also staying in tune with the art side as well. The art side to me is figuring out how to use that piece of equipment based off the results that some people have seen in their studies. Right now, you got to take that, take it to your environment, play with it. That's the art, and then figure out how to use it. So, in light of that, and in light of your new role, it sounds like there's exciting times ahead. Ultimately, yeah, definitely. I I, I like the conundrum of of figuring out how to how to get through to each individual player. We we've got a team where we've got guys that are five foot nine all the way up to six foot five. You know, the, those those guys can't train the same way and so I'm very excited to see how I can help these you know help these these athletes develop move forward and ultimately you know all of that doesn't matter unless they're having results and what they feel is having success on the on the tennis court and so I'm just excited to be a part of that and uh in this environment fantastic that almost brings us to the end Johnny but before that let's have a quick fire round first question early mornings or late nights definitely mornings <laughs> yeah. and what do you do to de-stress well i like to train i like to work out and train i feel like that keeps my mind sharp i like to read i wasn't a good reader when i was uh when i was going through school but i love to read anything around coaching and leadership kind of self-development stuff now and when i live closer to the beach i used to love going to the beach and especially with my kids and the family to to, to chill out wonderful and one word or phrase to describe your coaching or leadership style? Relationship-based. And your top tip when traveling for work? Ooh, good one. I would say use the time for professional development. 
So it's sometimes hard during the day-to-day. And on that note, what about a soft skill or a central skill, as you put it, you're keen to keep developing? Yeah, I want to I want to learn how to be better at articulating myself sometimes when talking about certain things and then storytelling. Articulation and storytelling is something that I'd love to get better at. And is there a trend across the high performance space that you're monitoring closely at the moment? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the motor learning development side of things. I'm always keeping my eye on what different sports or in- industries or leaders are doing around like constraints, constraints led approach and also and the, you know, the ecological ecological dynamics essentially and just keeping my eye on best practices and what people are doing in in those areas and final one the best coaching advice you've ever been given (laughs) so coach once told me like link and sync and so i was like when dive deeper into that it's basically that teaching and coaching are like fingerprints you know everyone has their own unique fingerprint and so therefore coaching is like you know, making sure that you're treating everyone differently and unique because they are different people and figuring out how to teach and coach them in the most effective way is is unique to each individual. So that was a great piece of advice I got from a legendary sort of physical preparation coach called Vern Gambetta. He's, everyone has their own unique fingerprint. I think that's a great place to wrap up this series as a whole. Johnny Parks, thank you so much for your time today. All right, thank you. Appreciate it.